they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday of the fourth week of Lent, which happens to be the Solemnity of St. Joseph, March 19th, St. Joseph, husband of Mary. What happened Did I? What happened to the barbers 30-some <laughs> years ago? He put a ring on my finger. Yeah. Not our wedding ring, our engagement ring. Yeah, it's a, it's a tradition in the barber family to do that. <laughs> so, okay. and, and I'm very grateful for that. And I want to, a little remiss today, I was thinking of the suffering servant, and I had forgotten about St. Joseph. Not that he doesn't tie in with that. Oh, no, so we'll suffering. try and cover both of them uh, because he is the foster father of the suffering servant of the Lord, isn't he? So, And the Lord's choice, that was God's choice. And um, we want to talk about St. Joseph. And I just want to say a word about this solemnity. Tell okay? me. Some people say are saying, well, it's a Friday in Lent. We, we have to fast. We have to do abstinence. Today is a solemnity. Do you know that on the Sundays of Lent, if you ever want to know how you should act, look at the liturgy of the church. On the Sundays of Lent, which are not considered days of fast, okay, mm -hmm. the Gloria is not said. The only time the Gloria is said during Lent is on the feast, the solemnity of St. Joseph mm -hmm. and the solemnity of the, of the Annunciation, March 19th and March 25th. And the only time that is exempted is when those solemnities fall within Holy Week or on a Sunday of Lent, mm. then the Sunday takes precedent. So the Gloria is said today at Mass. Now, people will say, oh, but on Holy Thursday, we say that, yes, you say the glory on Holy Thursday. But the days of the Triduum are considered a special celebration of the Triduum, of the Lord's Paschal mystery, beginning at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday. So Holy Thursday evening until the resurrection and the celebration of Easter Sunday, that's all one action of the mm -hmm. Lord, mm -hmm. his, his passion, death, resurrection, and glorification. Right. So... Um, when the Gloria is said, you know that the church is telling you this is not a time to fast. Yes, there are days of fasting. There are days when it's appropriate to abstain. Today is not our day of fast. And, and as a matter of fact, it's not a day of abstinence. It's a day of celebrating the solemnity of St. Joseph, the husband of Mary. And the church said the Gloria today at Mass Take your cue from the liturgy, because how the church prays is how she believes. Yes. So we want to look at who St. Joseph was and why. Before you do that, I want yes. to mention, you and I are going to be going to Mass here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This Thank evening. Please, yeah. God. Please, God, here 730. Amen. So I want to invite the listeners who are in Southern California. Yes, please join us. Because many of the people that are going to be there are going to make their consecration. To St. Joseph. Joseph. Right. They've been looking at Father Calloway's book where he mm -hmm. gives you a 33-day preparation. Right. And, of course, that's based on the, the St. Louis Marie de Montfort started that with the 33-day prep, preparation right. for the consecration of the Blessed Mother. And then that's been continued. And we, we, in other words, when you're going to do something solemn in the church, you prepare. Right. It's like when, when parents are expecting a baby, they're supposed to go to the classes while they're still pregnant and set up the baptism date. Mm -hmm. um, before the baby's even born, right. you know, or, or, or the RCIA. The whole point of it is we study the faith because faith builds on nature. That's right. And if we don't have a knowledge of the faith, then we're not going to live it as fully. Beautiful. You know, it's when we receive the sacraments without knowing what they are, yes, we receive the grace of the sacrament, but it can be totally lost on us. Right. The sacraments work, what is it? Ex opere oper operato, which means by virtue of the work done, mm -hmm. But they also work 
ex opere operantus, which means by virtue of the disposition of the receiver. So we have to be properly disposed to receive that grace. And that takes us into a discussion about St. Joseph. And before we do that, I want to remind everybody there's a plenary indulgence attached to today's feast day. Now remember, an indulgence, plenary indulgence, removes from your soul all temporal punishment due to forgiveness, forgiving sin, and you may apply it to your soul or to the soul of your loved one, perhaps maybe purgatory. son, yeah, purgatory. Or, or daughter, son or daughter of yours. Uh, you, you know, so you will need to fulfill the three usual conditions, which are go to confession, receive the Holy Eucharist, and offer prayers in union with the Holy Father's intentions. I just wanted to make sure we don't miss an opportunity. And what is the indulgence to action? Is it just to make the intention that I want to receive a plenary indulgence yes, today in honor of St. Yeah, Joseph? Exactly. That's wow. That is, that's it's phenomenal. Powerful. That is really powerful. That Okay, I make the intention right now. I want to receive the plenary indulgence attached to this feast day of St. Joseph. And then, please, God, I'll go to Holy Communion tonight if you've been to confession within two weeks. That's right. And then you say the prayers for the Holy Father. Wow. Yeah, so I just wanted to give that Beautiful. treasure chest yeah. notice. Amen, amen. We'll continue now. Well, here on the Feast of St. Joseph, we usually start our show with the reading of the Gospel. Well, mm-hmm. it's interesting. We have two Gospel readings for today. One of them is from Matthew. There are two options, and one is from Luke. And why is that? Because both of them involve the identity of St. Joseph. The Gospel of Matthew is from Matthew 1, 16, and then 18 through 21 and 24. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son and you will are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took his wife into his home. Now, the other gospel option for today is Luke 2, 41 through 51. Mm -hmm. Each year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went according to their custom. After they had completed its days, as they were returning, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Thinking that he was in the caravan, they journeyed for a day and looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances. But not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we have here? We have this gospel of St. Joseph, and he finds out that Mary's pregnant, and he's considering putting her away quietly so as not to dispose her, expose her to shame. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, you know, obviously St. Joseph suspected her of being unfaithful. He suspected her of adultery. But he didn't want to put her to shame, and so he was just going to divorce her quietly. Well, when we read the passage, you need, we need to need the whole passage together. Okay. Number one, they are married. So St. Joseph has to know that Mary has vowed her virginity to God, that she belongs to God. And that as his spouse, they will never live together in conjugal relations. Okay. And he has to agree to that. So St. Joseph has already agreed to that. So the two of them together have dedicated their life to the service of God, to serving God in whatever means he shows them. Maybe like Anna and Simeon, who were in the temple all the time, serving. And so then it becomes apparent that Mary's pregnant. And so it says here that he makes his decision, but before it says he makes his decision, it says, Joseph was a righteous man. Well, someone once explained to us that a righteous man will not make a a judgment based on contradictory evidence. So Joseph might have considered the possibility that Mary had been unfaithful, but the evidence contradicts that, doesn't it? He knows that she's holy. He knows her. And and I know I mentioned it to somebody once and they said, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of people can fool people that they are very holy. Mary wasn't going around fooling people and she wasn't putting on a show. And Joseph knows Mary. He's betrothed to her. And so her holiness, nothing has changed in her. Mm Mm-hmm. Had she committed adultery, something would have changed. So he has contradictory evidence. She's pregnant, but she hasn't committed adultery. Well, was she violated when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea? Mm -hmm. She was gone for three months. Again, when a woman has been violated, it becomes evident. Something in their demeanor changes. Something in her way of looking at Joseph would have changed. And this is not conscious. This is a subconscious, you know, it's almost like you hide yourself and you, you, Put your eyes to the side and you, they're different things. Joseph would have noticed. And there's no evidence of that either. So what does he have? He knows she's vowed her virginity to God. And he's vowed his virginity to God. They're going to live as as brother and sister in their Mm -hmm. marriage. They've already agreed to this. And so he has a pregnant virgin. (laughs) Well, there's only one place in scripture that taught in history that talks about a pregnant virgin. And that's the prophecy of the Messiah. And, And how do we you know, confirm that Joseph was not divorcing her quietly because he thought she'd been unfaithful or been violated because the angel says to him, and by the way, the angel doesn't come to him till he makes his decision. Mm -hmm. It's once he makes his decision that the angel comes to enlighten him as to what God's plan is. The angel says, do not be afraid, Joseph. If Mary, if he had thought Mary unfaithful or had thought that Mary had been violated, the, the reaction of a just man would have been anger because anger is the emotion that God gave to the just man to move him to correct injustice. He doesn't suspect there's been an injustice. He's afraid. There's a fear. There's a holy fear there. We're going to get back to St. Joseph after this break, and we will get into the suffering servant as well. So thank you so much. Remember to pray to St. Joseph this day in a particular way. And if you can get to Mass, do that. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Happy feast day. Happy feast day. Happy feast of St. Joseph. Happy feast of our uh, engagement. And, and uh, <laughs> thank you, God, for 31 years of marriage. We're very grateful to God. So St. Joseph is afraid. He's not angry. The, the righteous man's um, response, if Mary had been unfaithful or had been violated, or if he believed either of those things, would have been anger. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has a right to anger if there's an injustice has been done. Now, that doesn't mean you have a right to the sin of anger, but the emotion of anger was given by God to move the just man right. to correct injustice. But he's not angry. He's afraid. Right. There's a holy fear. He sees the work of God here, and he's not quite sure what his place mm-hmm. in it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and one priest said he may have reasoned that, well, she's the virgin of the prophet Isaiah, then he has to separate himself because the Messiah is supposed to be born of a virgin. And if he stays married to her, then everybody's going to assume it's his child. Yeah. But if he divorces her quietly, what's interesting is if he divorces her quietly, kind of puts her aside, then all the opprobrium is going to fall on him. What a wretch. Here he is, he leaves his wife pregnant and he abandons her. Mm. But then his, his reasoning, his human reasoning is, when it comes time to witness to her virginity that this is truly the Messiah born of a virgin, then I will be able to witness to that. But that was not God's plan. But that's the decision he's made. And I'm, we're only surmising that's what he possibly could have reasoned. But he's afraid, he's not angry. Keep that in mind. And he's, he's also a just man, so he's not making judgments based on contradictory evidence right so but he takes the angel comes to him in a dream and tells him the nature of mary's pregnancy that yes this is truly the virgin of isaiah and this is the messiah but yet you're supposed to take her into your home and you're supposed to be her her husband her protector and the protector of this child the guardian of this child Mm -hmm. and so he does and when he awakes he does immediately what the angel has said and this is the beauty of St. Joseph, the immediate obedience. And that leads us into the second reading, where Joseph and Mary go up every year for the Passover. And when Jesus was 12, they go as was their custom. Jesus is with them. He stays behind. They don't know it. They continue the journey searching for him. As a 12-year-old, he could have traveled with the women or the men who traveled separately in caravan. The families only came together in the evening. But they're both searching for him all day long. And at the end of the day, when they come together, they realize he's not here. <laughs> So then, then they go back to Jerusalem searching for him. And that's, there's an anguish in their heart there. They have to suffer the anguish of, they were living constantly in the presence of God. They know who Jesus is. And they're constantly living in the actual physical presence of God. As if, you know, you have the blessed sacrament with you, but he's still walking around in, on two legs, night and day, 24 hours a day, and now he's gone. And this is the second day. As they're going back to Jerusalem, that's the second day he's missing from them. Their hearts are aching for his presence and also aching out of fear. They know that Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby. Has Herod's son born more clever than his father? Mm -hmm. Has he figured out who the Messiah is and tracked him down Mm -hmm. and somehow kidnapped him and and put him? They don't know, but they can trust in God and they pray. And when they come upon him in the temple, Mary addresses him and she says to him, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. Joseph really had the authority of a father over his son. He really took the place here on earth of God the Father. 
In the Old Testament, we're told that Pharaoh made Joseph of Egypt the prince over his house and the Lord of all his possessions. And the church uses that phrase to refer to St. Joseph, the husband of Mary, the foster father of Jesus, the guardian of the Redeemer, that he is the prince over the Lord's house and the Lord over all his possessions. As a matter of fact, we have in the um, preface, that's the prayer that said before the Eucharistic prayer, it's addressed to God the Father, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, on the solemnity of St. Joseph, we give you fitting praise to glorify you and bless you. For this just man, Joseph, was given by you as a spouse to the Virgin Mother of God and set as a wise and faithful servant in charge of your household to watch like a father over your only begotten son, who was conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is acknowledging this, Joseph's role. He is, he, he is the foster father of the Son of God. He is the guardian of the Redeemer, and he's also the guardian of the Virgin, Mary, the mother of God. You know, Mary, I was thinking, Steve Ray, we uh, was on our show before the Bible with the Barbers, and we were talking about the role a father had in Jewish times, yes. you know, that old 2,000 years ago. And Steve made an interesting point. He said that, you know, St. Joseph was the model for Jesus in a sense as, as the father. So he would even walk like St. Joseph. Right, right. He would have the sayings of St. Joseph. Right. And so, in a sense, he, he really mirrored uh, Jesus uh, so much because he was the father, foster father, but still the father of Jesus, and so so many of the characteristics, you know, genetically came from Mary, but mannerisms would have come from Joseph. From Joseph, that yeah, Joseph taught him the trade of the carpentry yeah. or general contractor, yeah, as the word means. And mm -hmm. and yes, he would have learned these things from Saint Joseph. You know, it, it's interesting. <laughs> the baby Jesus had to learn how to walk as a baby. Right. You know, he had to gain motor skills like any baby. His his body didn't have perfect muscle tone or whatever necessarily he was he was a child he was really was a child he had to grow he had to become strong he had to gain motor skills he mm -hmm. had to gain all of the experiential knowledge of right. of life on this earth the second person of the blessed trinity didn't have any of that because the second person of the blessed trinity is a pure spirit he never had a body before he became incarnate in the womb of the virgin mary you know <laughs> so he had to learn experiential and yes, he would have he would have taken on the characteristics of his foster father. He mm. would have you know it's like that little that little song about the the little the the the, the guy who is his little son is uh, you know he says I'm I've been watching you dad ain't that cool I'm your buckaroo I want to be like you yeah. eat all my food and grow as tall as you are you know and the whole point of it is he's watching his father he wants to become like his father yes you know and it's a great song the father used a bad word and he heard his son use the bad word. And, and the, the, the son said, he says to the son, where'd you learn to talk like that? I've been watching you, dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, I want to be like you. And then, and then later on, the father, when they get back to the farm, the father goes into the barn and he's like, Lord, help me help my stupid self. I mean, I can't say that kind of stuff in front of my son. Help me out here. Mm -hmm. And that night when they go to bed, when they put his son to bed, his son kneels down by the son, side of the bed and he talks to God just like a man, he says. And he's just talking to him like a friend. Mm -hmm. And, and the father says, son, where'd you learn to talk to God like that? I've been watching you, dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, I want to be like you. And that's, yes, 
Jesus would Imitation. have watched St. Joseph and he would have imitated. Right. Yeah. Beautiful point. Beautiful yeah. point. And so what happens here in the end of this reading, they go back, Jesus goes back with them and he remains obedient to them. And this is just the, the profound reality of who, how much God emptied himself for us, the condescension of God, his inclination toward us, he inclines toward us. God became man and he became a child and he was obedient to human parents. Now, obviously his parents weren't going to tell him to do anything sinful and they were only going to encourage him to do his father's will because that's what they were doing. They were living the father's will, living in union with God. And they prayed every day. And they prayed the Psalms together every day. And we talked about the Psalms last week that talked about the passion of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So yes, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were very much familiar with the sufferings that were coming to Jesus. And that's what we want to get into. Joseph suffered with Jesus in his infancy. He's born in poverty. Mm -hmm. Joseph, all Joseph could provide for him was a stable. And this must have been a, a great agony for Joseph. You know, it, it, of course, Joseph's first agony was the thought that he was going to have to separate from Mary. She was beautiful. She was the most beautiful woman in Nazareth. You think? And, and then, and besides that, she was the holiest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of his hopes and his dreams, he thought, you know, and I'm going to have to separate. And I'm, I, you know, but she has, she's the virgin and she has to live as a virgin. And, you know, yeah, we were going to live as virgins, but I didn't understand that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And, you know, <clears throat> and so, but he, he, he surrenders all of his plans and all of his preconceived notions when God reveals to him what he wants him to do. And, and then after Jesus is born and the wise men come, you know, the shepherds have come and the wise men have come and there's all this rejoicing at Jesus's birth. And then what? In the dream. And the angel always comes to Joseph in a dream. Get up, Joseph. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. It's the middle of the night. And he's like, okay, I'll wait till, you know, four in the morning. No. He gets up immediately and they go to Egypt in the middle of the night, in the darkness. And of course, the angels would have guided them and helped them and protected them. But they have to flee yeah. for the sake of the child's life. You know, and then when they're coming back, it's apparent from the gospel that as they come back from Egypt, they plan to go back to Bethlehem. Right. Why does they say that it's apparent? Because an angel appears to in a dream to Joseph again and tells him, don't go back to Bethlehem. Herod's son is worse than Herod. Mm -hmm. So he goes up to Nazareth and it's when they come back from Egypt that he returns to Nazareth and, and it's just, but, but this immediate obedience and this constant, and he's not complaining and whining. And the other thing, and this is sometimes we miss this as Christians. Tell us. We want to meditate on the passion of Christ and that's so important. But some of the saints have told us never meditate on the passion of Christ without meditating on his resurrection. You got to have without good Friday, there's no Easter Sunday, but you have to, without Easter Sunday, right. good Friday Makes is meaningless. No Yep. It's meaningless. What did Paul say? If Christ is not raised from the dead, mm. then we won't be raised. Right. And we are the saddest of men because our faith is in vain. Christ is raised from the dead. So we always meditate on the resurrection. And so even in the midst of suffering, like today, in the midst of Lent, yes, we have this day of rejoicing, this day of relaxing of the discipline of Lent, not in order to overindulge our, our flesh, okay? This isn't about committing sins of gluttony or sins of intemperance no. and drinking. It's, you know, and it's not about, you know, just, you know, not praying at all because, oh, this is a feast day. I don't have to pray. <laughs> Excuse me. We probably should be praying more because it's a feast day. And, and, but, but. 
celebrating with legitimate taking care of the body mm-hmm. and not depriving it, okay? Yeah. Because we're looking forward to the resurrection. We're looking forward to the joy of heaven. Yeah. We should be meditating on the joy of heaven. I had a young woman tell me one time, she said, you know, she had tried out her vocation as a, as an, uh, in a convent, and the novice mistress asked the sisters one day, she said, when was the last time any of you meditated on heaven? Mm. And none of the sisters had meditated, none of these novices had wow. meditated on heaven. If we're just meditating on the passion of Christ all the time, no, the devil will use that That's to right. drag us down and, yep. and tell us when our suffering comes, you see, this is all God has for you. You're just mm-hmm. going to suffer and he's just going to tighten the screws and he's going to pull the rack and you're just going to suffer and suffer. Mm-hmm. No, we need to meditate on. That's right. And that's what today is about. Yep. Look at St. Joseph and the Holy Family and rejoice in them. And I'm not saying go out and commit gluttony, but celebrate with the church. We say the Gloria in the liturgy today. We don't even say that on the Sundays of Lent. Well said, and don't forget, (laughs) tonight at 7.30, we're celebrating with Holy Mass in honor of St. Joseph. Many of the folks are going to be making their consecration to St. Joseph, and we'd love to have you there. 7.30 tonight, Sacred Heart Chapel. We'll be right back with more of the Bible with Barbara. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 19th day of March, the Solemnity of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who, according to Pope Leo XIII, in his little, very short letter on St. Joseph, said, that St. Joseph shared in the prerogatives of the Blessed Virgin Mary by virtue of his marriage to her. Their marriage was a true marriage. So I promised you we would talk about the suffering servant, and we talked a little bit about how St. Joseph, while he was alive on earth, did share sufferings with Christ. And, and of course, there's the, you know, the daily sufferings of, of um, poverty. The, the Holy Family lived in poverty. St. Joseph was a worker. He was a hard worker. He worked hard, and hard work doesn't make us sad. If, you know, good people are, you know, if it's slavery work, well, that's a different story. That's, that's very difficult. But it wasn't slavery work. It was, he got paid for his work, but it was, it was hard work. He was a hard worker, and he taught Jesus to be a hard worker. Jesus' hands must have been very tough, you know? He worked with his hands. So what do we have here? I'm going to look, um, I'm going to start here. If you look at the readings for Holy Week, in, the, in Holy Week you have, I, uh, the church reads from Isaiah 42, and then from Isaiah 49, and then from Isaiah 52 to 53. And these are the servant songs. Now, not all of those songs are about suffering. They're not all um, totally about suffering. So we have, um, see if I can get this real quick. The, um, that's the octave. There's Easter. I just have to get back to Holy Week here. And we want to get to Monday of Holy Week. And what you want to do is you want to look at these psalms, these songs in the... Um, and meditate on them. As a matter of fact, it's an interesting, the saints have told us that meditating on the passion of Christ for one hour is more efficacious than fasting on bread and water for a year. So Monday of Holy Week, now we don't have the whole of chapter 42 of Isaiah here, but we have this much. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. 
He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he shall not quench, until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with its crops, who gives breath to its people and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant to the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to bring the prisoners out from confinement and from the dungeons, those who live in darkness. So this is the first servant song. And that's a song filled with hope and glory, a song filled with union with God. I have grasped you by the hand. So his servant is not working. This is God working and he will sustain his servant. And we come to know in history that his servant, actually his son will become human. He'll take on human nature and he will take on the punishment for the sins of man and he doesn't come to eradicate human suffering. He gives, comes to give it a new meaning. But, but it begins with this great hope. And the second servant song, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, which is read on Tuesday of Holy Week. Hear me, O islands. Listen, O distant peoples. The Lord called me from birth. From my mother's womb, he gave me my name. He made of me a sharp-edged sword and concealed me in the shadow of his arm. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me. You are my servant, he said to me. Israel, through whom I show my glory. Though I thought I had toiled in vain, for nothing uselessly spent my strength. Yet my reward is with the Lord. My recompense is with my God. For now the Lord has spoken, who formed me as his servant from the womb that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. And I am made glorious in the sight of the Lord. And my God is now my strength. It is too little, he says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And again, the church, when she gives us this, read the whole chapter, all of chapter 42, all of chapter 49 in the book of the prophet Isaiah. But again, the servant songs, and they begin as a promise, a promise that God is sending salvation, that he will redeem us. And what is it? And not just Israel, to the whole world. It's too little for you to just redeem Israel. I have set you for a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God made it evident that he intended to save the whole world, everyone who's willing to be saved. God will not force us against our will. He gives himself freely to us. He offers and he waits for us to say, yes, come in. I give you permission. You are my God. And then we have Isaiah 52, verse 13, through Isaiah 53, <laughs> the whole chapter of 53. And this is the one, this particular verse, whenever you're meditating on the sorrowful mysteries of our Lord, you can use this as your meditation. Behold, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. As many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred 
beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the sons of men. So shall he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they shall see, and that which they have not heard they shall understand. I'm reading now Isaiah 52 to 53. I'm reading from the Ignatius Bible, the um, Revised Standard Version. The other readings that I took from Isaiah 42 and 49 are from the daily readings from the Mass, which is, uh, I believe, the New American Version, New American Translation. Okay, so the translation may be slightly different if you read what's in the Scriptures on, for Holy Week. Because, again, in Holy Week, um, we have that, we, we will get that, um, you know, those readings of the servant of the Lord and what he does. Okay, but then... Chapter 53 begins like this. And, and again, already in chapter 49, 59, 50, excuse me. Good morning. We're going to start again here. <laughs> chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. It's already talking about suffering, isn't it? As many were astonished at him, his appearance, appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of men. And then it goes on, chapter 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisements that made us whole and with his stripes we are healed. We, like sheep, had gone astray. We had turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made him a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he makes himself an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteousness. Righteous, excuse me. Righteous. My servant shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for their transgressions. So it says here, you know, who would have considered? And of his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living and stricken for the transgressions of my people? So it seems like he will have no posterity. And yet, what does it say? He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And his knowledge shall, and by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous. And all of the righteous are his offspring. And so you see, there is great suffering here, isn't there? Look very carefully at this. His appearance was marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the sons of men. And then what do we know about Jesus and his passion? He was scourged at the pillar. He was crowned with thorns. He was crucified upon a cross. And the scourging wasn't some light whipping, you know, whatever. I mean, these men didn't care if he died at the scourging. He was a condemned criminal. Although he wasn't condemned yet, Pilate had said, he's innocent, I mean to let him go, but I'm going to chastise him a little. I'm going to teach him a lesson. Well, when the Romans teach you a lesson, oftentimes that lesson kills you. (laughs) And it teaches other people a lesson. Don't rebel against Rome. Don't cause us any trouble. Because if you do, you're going to suffer. So we'll talk more about the suffering servant and what this means for us today. We'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for listening. Please like and share and invite your family members. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back on this Feast of St. Joseph. Happy Solemnity. And... um, Never hurts to meditate on the Passion of Christ on Friday because Jesus died on a Friday. And, and then, but always remember, we're going to meditate on the, med- the glorious mysteries too. Um, so we're talking about the suffering servant. And I did miss one of the Holy Week readings, and that was on Wednesday of Holy Week, Isaiah 50. The Lord has given me a well-trained tongue that I might know how to speak to the weary a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear. And I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who plucked at my beard. I did not shield my face from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. He is near who upholds my right. If anyone wishes to oppose me, let us appear together. Who disputes my right? Let him confront me. See, the Lord God is my help. Who will prove me wrong? And again, Jesus Christ endured the cross, heedless of his shame, in view of the glory that would be revealed. So as we read these Psalms, and we've already pointed this out in Psalm 50, in, in, not just Psalm, but in the prophet Isaiah, the suffering servant hymns or songs. And in, in chapter 53, it's already pointed out that there's a victory 
Even in the midst of this suffering, there's a victory and there's a reason. And why is he suffering? Is he suffering because it's just meaningless suffering? You know, God didn't make sin and God did not make suffering. He didn't make death. God made a perfect world. And, and you know, there's a lot of people suffering right now. And please, we pray. And especially there are parents whose little babies are suffering. I just received a text that one of my great nephews is in the hospital with seizures. So we ask Lord Jesus, um, as we meditate on your passion today, that you would pour out your precious blood upon this little nephew of mine, Augustine, who is suffering with seizures in the hospital, but on all the little babies and on their families, Lord Jesus, and on us. Pour out your precious blood that we would recognize and realize that you are our redeemer and you didn't redeem us to live in an earthly paradise, but you redeemed us to live as you lived in union with your father here on this earth, doing his will. So help us to do your will. Help us to collaborate with our angels, to ask the blessed mother and St. Joseph to pray for us, to ask our guardian angels and patron saints to assist us. And Lord, especially you pour out your precious blood upon us to wash away any sinfulness that is interfering with your full union with us and to free us from attachment to the things of this world so that we be united with you. And we ask you also to bring healing. You are a God of healing and miracles. You didn't make sickness and death. You made life and beauty and goodness and truth. So let these shine forth in the lives of the suffering and help us all to offer our sufferings in union with you to help redeem the world. Lord Jesus, we ask you this. For the sake of the glory of your Father's name, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. So Isaiah says, Who would have believed what we heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And what is the point here? Well, in the Old Testament, it was believed that if you were suffering, you were cursed by God. But if that you had great blessings, that you were blessed by God. And this was, you know, the whole book of Job, which deals with the whole question of suffering and is suffering a punishment from God for sin. And yet Job insists that he's righteous. He hasn't committed any sin. And his friends say, Job, admit that you're a sinner and die. You know, his wife, you know, admit that you're a sinner and die. You know, no, I haven't sinned. I don't know why. And in the end, Job tries to explain. He tries to explain the mind of God. And in the end, when God appears to him and he says, Job, were you there when I made the stars? Can you call forth the darkness, call forth the dawn or make the darkness dark? Can you call the stars by name? And Job says, what? I put my hand over my mouth. I have spoken, but I won't speak again. <laughs> you know, I've spoken out of turn. God's ways are not our ways. Why would God send his son to take on a human nature and then suffer and die in such a way that it looked on Calvary like everything was over and done and Christ was defeated completely? But that's not what was happening. Why? He had no comeliness in him. There was no beauty in him. He was a man of suffering, acquainted with grief. He was one in whom people hide their faces. I can't look on this suffering. It is too great. And by the way, we have that temptation sometimes when we run into people who are suffering. I can't look on this. And we need to ask God for the strength to serve those who are suffering even at the risk of our own health. Yes, when someone has the flu or COVID-19, what can I do to help them? Can I serve this person? How can I help their family? How can I serve them? We're not supposed to be locked away in our homes. We're supposed to be serving Christ 
in his brothers and sisters who are suffering. Remember when Paul, Saul of Tarsus was headed for Damascus to arrest the Christians and Jesus appears to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what does Saul say? Who are you, sir? And, he was, and Jesus tells him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What do you mean you're Jesus whom you're persecuting? I'm not persecuting Jesus. I'm persecuting people who, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> he was persecuting the people who claim that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus says, by doing so, you're persecuting me. At the last judgment, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was away from home and you welcomed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you visited me. When, Lord? When did we do these things? Whatever you did for the least of my brethren, you did for me. And for those who are going to hell and that's where they're going, you didn't do these things. So let's wake up and hear the birds sing. We need to stop worrying about our life here on this earth. We weren't called to live in an eternal paradise on this. We're looking forward to heaven. We're looking forward to being with St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother. We're suffering in union with Christ, not for the sake of suffering. We don't suffer for the sake of suffering. We suffer in view of the glory that will be revealed. So meditate on heaven. Meditate on the glory that God wishes to share with you. God wants to share our own life, and not just in heaven, right here on this earth. Transforming union, he wants it for everyone. The saints lived in transforming union. They were so united to God that their love for God was so strong, it became impossible for them to sin because they loved God so much. You know, the martyrs who gave their lives, little Joselito out in, at St. Joseph's in Pomona, they have a little shrine that they're making to Jose um, Sanchez del Rio, the little 14-year-old boy who died in the Cristero Wars as a martyr for Christ, he was tortured by his capturers. And then they cut up the soles of his feet and put salt on the ground and walked him to his grave. His bloody feet, walking on salt. And he never renounced Christ. And there's this beautiful picture of him at St. Joseph's Church in, in Pomona. And, and the joy in his face. And this is it, the joy of the martyrs. Once, once they are united to Christ, they endure the sufferings, heedless of the shame, that, of the apparent momentary shame, in view of the glory that's coming. They are experiencing joy. In, in the book of Maccabees, in the Old Testament, Eleazar, 90-year-old Eleazar, you know, he's going to be martyred because he won't eat pork. He won't take on the Greek ways. He won't give in to the ways of the world. The Greeks have taken over the, the you know, the, the world and, and Judea. And now it's like, you better eat pork or you're going to have to die. And, and he says, no, I'm not going to eat pork. I, if I do that, and, and so then his friends who have already given in to the Greek ways come over to him and say, look, we'll put some meat on the plate that you can eat and you can pretend. that." You, and he said, what? Make a pretense? I'm 90 years old. I've served the Lord for 90 years. And if I make this pretense now, it will cause scandal to the young people. And they will think 90-year-old Eleazar has given up the faith to go over to a pagan religion. No, I won't do it. And those people who were so nice to him a few minutes before turned brutally hateful toward him. Why? Because they had given up their faith. They had compromised their souls and their salvation in order to, to gain a few years of life. We need to be willing to let go of our life on this earth. And why did he take on all this oppression? He took on all this oppression to free us from sin. To take on, we owed a debt we couldn't pay. So he paid a debt he didn't owe.
God became man. Only God could pay back to God for the offense that had been committed against God because it was an infinite offense. But only man could make up for what man had done. That was offend God. So only a man who perfectly lives in perfect union with God could give back to God what he needed. But he needed to be God and he needed to be man. He needed to be both. And as the fathers of the church said, if he wasn't God, we weren't redeemed. And if he wasn't man, we're not redeemed. Because only God had the power to redeem us. But if he wasn't man, then our human nature wasn't redeemed. We've lost everything that God wanted for us. But the truth is he is God and he is man. He's true God, true man. And so he suffers. Meditate on these Psalms. It's, it's Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and the end of Isaiah 52 through all the way through Isaiah 53 that talk about the passion of our Lord and all the things that he would suffer. And then there are the Psalms in the book of Psalms that we talked about last week. And you can go back and listen to that show. Psalm 2, Psalm 22, Psalm 31, and Psalm 69, I believe were the numbers. I can verify that, right? Yes, I can verify that. Psalm 2, 22, 31, and 69 that all talk about the sufferings that the Lord is going to go through and how the world is going to conspire against him. But he does this to redeem us from the slavery of sin. This is the slavery he wants to free us from, the slavery of sin. He didn't come to eradicate poverty. He didn't come to eradicate disease and illness. But he can cure us of those things. And we pray that he does cure us. And we especially pray that if he's not going to cure us, he give us the strength to bear the sufferings. You know, someone asked the question this week, and it was a very, it's a very astute question. Does God have a predetermined time for our death and way of death? Well, there was a predetermined time for Jesus's death and the way he would die. But for us, there's God's active will and his permissive will. God never wills an evil. So, and he doesn't allow it. It's not that Jesus's death was predetermined in terms of it. It had, it was that God allowed this evil deicide in order to redeem mankind So God allows evil to happen, but only because he can bring a greater good out of it. So if somebody dies being murdered, it's not because God willed them to be murdered, but God can bring a greater good out of that. And um, I am trying to get to the app listener questions. Don't give up. I do try and answer them. Um, I put holy angels protection on all all of my letters because I just want the holy angels to surround everything I do because I need their help to do God's will. (laughs) So I'm just asking the angels to help me when I answer your questions. It's not a personal thing or out of fear or anything. I'm not. And and we want to do God's will. We want to meditate on the passion of Christ and to thank God for all that he has done for us in his passion, but to rejoice in his resurrection. Do not forget the joy. Look at the glory. Meditate on heaven and the glory that God has prepared for us, the glory of living in union with God praising God for all eternity. So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I hope you join us again next week for more Bible study.